Welcome to Alive and Kicking, their 90s football podcast. The podcast that's more 90s than now. That's what I call music 32. That was the one with the clowns and the snow, blue sky effect, yeah? There are now 97 now. Yep, that's how far they've come. None of this now 30s. I mean, the 31 had the kind of city skyscraper thing on. 33 was like more clouds, actually, more like a water effect. 35, was that a party one? There was a yellow one as well. I think that's 37. Yeah, better songs as well. Bloody love the 90s. My name's Ash Rose, your host and guide on this, the original 1990s football podcast, Alive and Kicking. And sorry if my voice is a little hoarse today. Um, I'm recovering from a cold. Uh, yeah, mid middle of July and I've got a cold. And so, well, actually, end of the July and I've got a cold. Ridiculous. My little daughter has one as well, which is not fair. She can't take lemsip that I can. But yeah, I've got a cold. And it's also a little bit from my sister's wedding at the weekend on the dance floor, shouting us some 90s tunes. Yeah, so apologies that I'm a little bit hoarse. A little bit Danny Bear going on. There's a 90s reference for you. But we're back once again like a renegade master. And we're back once again with our countdown. Yes, we're returning to the countdown today as we go season by season looking back at the 1990s and football in the bonkers world of 1990s as it was. And it's our 51st episode now. And as if you didn't know, uh, last time out was our big 50. Um, it crept up on us, so if you didn't know, it's okay. Uh, but we celebrated it in some style, didn't we? If you haven't heard it already, I'm going to wax lyrical for the next couple of minutes once again as we went one-on-one with an icon, a, such a big face of the 1990s, perfect to celebrate our decade as we do here. Alexi Lalas spoke to me for... 40 odd minutes it was a one-on-one show just me and Alexi Lalas really enjoyed it when I listened back I forgot just how brilliant he was when I spoke to him really open we talked about so many different things his rise through the game as it was so difficult to do in the early days in the 90s in America his prominence to you know his rise to prominence at the USA 94 and that hairstyle that beard that kit the guitar everything he spoke very candidly about the whole thing which is very kind of him to take time out of his busy schedule in America to talk to us so if you haven't listened to it already, go back and listen to it. Thank you again to Alexi Lalas. It was real, real pleasure to speak to you. Thank you to Mick Conlon for inadvertently setting it up and to Joel Young as well. But I'll get to thank him in person because he's uh, on the show today. So, yeah, if you haven't listened to already, our 50th episode, we celebrate in style by speaking to Alexi Lalas. And also... It was a couple of things. So thank you all to everyone who's spoken to me about the episode. We have some really kind comments on Twitter, on Facebook, some lot of retweets and favourites and likes and stuff for the episode. Um, I think it's going to be one of our highest listened to, rated to episodes we've ever done. So thank you to everyone who has kind of got involved in whatever way you've done it and liked it. Thank you very much. And if you want us to do more episodes like that, obviously the format we usually do is you get some friends and and whoever and journalists and and people associated to teams and and people I know that we talk about whatever the theme is that week. And then we had a footballer on the phone for 10 or so minutes to, to relive his memories of hopefully that theme or just in the 90s in general. But if you want to do more Ash meets or AK 90s meets with uh, just one on ones, then let me know because it's a sort of concept we hadn't really considered before but this one went down so well I think the name has to be right there has to be scope to talk to somebody that long uh, for that long amount of time and they have to have some big career especially in that decade so that we wouldn't just choose anyone but if you want more kind of just one-on-ones with certain guests AK90 meets let us know um, and we'll try and arrange some and, and get that sorted but it was nice to kick that sort of new series I suppose off with Alexi Lalas on episode 50 here's to the next 50 i suppose yeah before we get on today's show though here's some few 90s nibs that i just wanted to go through like i do 
There's a lot of 90s going on at the moment. I feel like the decade is getting appreciated more than ever. Um, I think I've said it before already with the kits that have been released this season. I don't know if I mentioned Huddersfield Town's kit on last time because their new away kit is a very, very good homage to their brilliant electrified away kit in the mid-90s. They've gone and done that again for their Premier League bow and I love it. I bloody love it. So yeah, well done to that. And talking of kits, actually, I was lucky enough to go down to a, a special kit exhibition last week. I don't know if you saw this across social media um, at all. If you're a kit fan, I'm sure you would have seen somebody in that world tweeting about it. Uh, an author called Neil Hurd, who's written a great book about his love for football kits. Uh, and another book on trainers as well, which is one of my another one of my vices. So he's right up my street. Uh, he did an exhibition last week um, in, was it Shoreditch? Yeah, I think it was. can't even remember right now. Um, showing classic football kits I mean that's kind of my world really and some absolute amazing kits there obviously my eyes were drawn to the 90s ones and it had some brilliant ones there the Arsenal banana bruised one and you know the USA home kit I didn't see the away kit actually that wasn't there but the Germany kit the classic Germany kit there were so many that it was just mind-boggling and brilliant so hopefully um, he said I think he's going to tour it around uh, the UK I think there was a rumour so if he didn't catch it in London last week uh, keep your eye out on uh, the Twitter feed at Neil Hurd um, I'm sure that at some point they'll take it to a town near you and it's well worth visiting I was in my element I really was I wanted to stick them in my bag and take them home actually because there were just so many classic kits um, on show so yeah that was a really real pleasure to go to that and I just wanted to shout out as well to uh, a guy on Twitter called Halley Inc if you haven't followed him already, he does these brilliant kind of little collages of kits um, from certain teams. I'm looking at the one I've got of the QPR kits that he's done on my wall at the moment, including uh, how many has he got from the 90s? Oh, just the one, but it's the classic FM kit uh, from 92, 93. But he's just released a new collage that he's done of all the kits from Italia 90. And it's brilliant. It really is. The Baldur's even got the, uh, the Italian colours and then the famous Chow mascot at the bottom as well. So, yeah. Check out his Twitter feed, at Halley Inc. Go and get yourself a print. I've ordered one already to go alongside my QPR kit one. Um, hopefully, he's going to do more tournament ones. The 94 one will be amazing because I think that's not just that kit, the USA kit, but the kits in general during that tournament were immense. Um, he asked on Twitter, actually, what were your favourite kits from Italia 90? And I said the England one. Obviously, I still think that's probably the best English shirt they've ever done. Home one, anyway. Uh, the Germany one is obviously a classic. Probably one of the best kits of all time. And I also really like the Cameroon one. Because it had that V-neck and that massive lion on it. I think because also Cameroon were a very unknown quantity at that time as well. Their kit stands out a bit. But yeah, they were my top three kits. So two things for you to check out if you can. Something I checked out this morning actually. Did anyone see that random picture of Macaulay Culkin walking around wherever he was. Somewhere in America, Hollywood or somewhere where he hangs out. Wearing a West Ham shirt from 1999. How random is that? The old feeler one. The polo collar with the Dr. Martin sponsor. I mean, it's random enough that he's wearing a West Ham shirt, but to do it in 90s, I mean, Kevin McAllister from Home Alone and a 90s football shirt, it's like my mind can't take that amount of 90s rolled into one. Very, very random, but I think Macaulay Culkin these days is a very, very random person. The only other thing I wanted to mention as well, those for you who have got Sky Sports, um, how are you liking the new sort of revamp they've done? I tell you what, I'm bloody loving it. Because I spent last week just flicking through channels. And what is there? Best goals of 97, 98. Best goals of 92, 93. Best goals of 99, 2000. 
I just sit there and watch 90s football, just a flick of the fingertip. They're now all saved on my Skybox. I've got a whole, like that whole 90s ones. And actually, I was watching them in the de- mid decade as well, in the 2000s. I was watching those ones as well because I don't know, I love the 90s, but I didn't just stop loving football in 1999. So, yeah, I know that's a lot of filler for Sky at the moment where they're reducing these channels of Sky Football, Sky Premier League. I can't, which one were they on actually? Premier League or football, I can't remember. But either or, it's great to have them on. I mean, I love the Premier League years. That's one of my favourite shows to watch. But these are quite nice. You can just leave them on the background when you're doing something. Look up every now and then and see a great goal. Obviously, some great QPR ones in there as well. We'll talk about some great goals today, actually, in the 96-97 season, because that was a really vintage years for goals. I wonder who won goal of season that year. Mm. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Trevor Sinclair. But yeah, no, if you Sky Sports, check it out. Sky Plus it, Sky, you know, series link them all because it's great just to sit there and watch 90s goals in and out. It's such an easy watch, but such a great to reminisce the 1990s. What are we doing today with 1996-97? That's what we're turning our attention to. Um, a season that's... Well, when I was researching it, I was kind of like, well, was it one of those seasons where nothing really happened? And then bang, 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 bang. So much happened, so there's going to be a lot to talk about on today's show. Uh, we've got a couple of guests talking, uh, Middlesbrough, Man United, Keegan, Wenger, Beckham. Oh, there's so much to get through, there really is. Um, but yeah, we'll be talking it all today on 96.97, plus an interview with the great Terry McDermott, who was on the staff at Newcastle at the time. Um, he was assistant manager to Kevin Keegan, so it'd be great to get his memories of the, not just that season, obviously the season before where they went close and they had the 12 points, but that season where Keegan quit, uh, they had that big, big victory over Man United, they thought they were going to be in the big title race with the sign and a Shearer, but we get into all that with Terry McDermott on today's show, where we cover 1996-97. Um, there's a few memories from you guys that I, uh, I tweeted out. Uh, earlier yesterday, I used the sticker packet because I couldn't find the VHS. Don't know if anyone did the uh, the video, the season video that year, if the BBC or Sky did one, but I couldn't find the cover anywhere on the internet. Um, I don't own that one, unfortunately. So if anyone has got it, tweet it me because I'd like to see it. Um, but there were a few of you that got in touch. Um, Lord Grumpus at Watkins 5000 said uh, the Premier League runners up being remembered more fondly and vividly than nearly all the winners of the subsequent 20 years it's probably true maybe the season before I would say but in general that Newcastle team of those two seasons are remembered probably more fondly than some of the title winners especially with that team you know Shearer and, and Ginola and Ferdinand and Espria and Philip Albert as well combine those two seasons I completely uh, agree with you Lord Grumpus Mick Conlon, he's back again, good old Mick. He says, that gorgeous NUFC kit for a start. Yes, it's a great kit, the old granddad collar. One of those very fondly remember. I think John Devlin, now kit guru, the man behind True Colours, I think he chose that as his favourite kit of the 90s when they did our uh, Top 5 Kits podcast, which is in the archives. Check that out. I think that was his favourite, actually. Um, Kevin Artman at KJRT21 says, Borough relegated and lost both cup finals. Man United's low point total still good enough to win the league. Yeah, it's one of those weird league seasons, we'll talk about this in detail, where a lot of teams threw the league away and Man United just did what they did. Um, and we'll obviously talk about Borough because we have Joel Young on and he will talk forever about that season because so much happened. We could do a podcast just on Middlesbrough because so much happened to them during that season. And then lastly, we had Brad Dobbing at Diego Maradobbin. Great Twitter handle there, Brad. 
And he said, Chris Waddle achieving his boyhood dream at Roker Park. And then posted a YouTube link to Chris Waddle scoring a goal in, uh, I think it's Everton's last, uh, sorry, Sunderland's last game at Roker Park when they beat Everton 3-0. And Chris Waddle, who had signed earlier in that season for his boyhood team, because although he uh, he's remembered Newcastle, he was a Sunderland fan as a kid. He scored in a 3-0 win, a great free kick from, from Chris Waddle there. So... At Nick Gilbert 86 says, obvious one, but the meteoric rise of David Beckham following that goal at Wimbledon. I was 10 years old at the game. He became my hero. Of course, we talk about that game. Two further points from Nick. Also think that Wimbledon were a great story that season. Fab Cup run. Notch United out. Really decent run in the league. Yeah, good season for Wimbledon. They're obviously involved at the end as well of that game against Liverpool, which we talk about. And then finally, I think that was the season Richie Humphreys scored. In the first three or four games for Sheffield Wednesday, then faded away too. Yeah, it was actually. He scored a cracking goals that season, Richie Humphreys. We speak to him actually in episode two, I believe, of our Live and Kicking. Go back in the archives and listen to that. And then finally, Glenn Phillips at Glenn PH says, I remember it as the season. Almost nobody wanted to win it. Very low points totals right at the top. Also, Wimbledon having a good year. So Wimbledon remembered very fondly from 1996-97. So that's go to the meat of the show, the 1990s. Countdown continues as we talk 1996-97. I'm joined by Joel Young, grandfather clock of OK90s, and a debutant in Simon Needle, who takes over the mantra from Matthew Chris as the Man United voice for this season as they cruised that league. As everyone else, as Glenn said, threw it away. So we get into the meat of that. Before we do, though, just a quick reminder, you can follow us on Twitter at AK90s and on Facebook as well. As I always say, if you've got anything lying around in your garage or your loft you want to tweet us, please do. We really do love seeing them. Friend of ours at 90s Football, great Twitter feed. He tweeted me this week with a picture of some of some things that his granddad found uh, over the weekend. He bought it was a couple of annuals, uh, a football book and things like that. And the Alive and Kicking Ultimate Guide to 90s Football's Nostalgia book as well. So I'm sure his granddad had a good weekend reading that. But if you've got anything in your loft hanging around that's very 90s, very football-y, stick it on Twitter. We love seeing it. And then finally, if you are on iTunes... What really does help us is a five-star rating and review. We want to keep this podcast going into the new season. So if you do that, if you're an iTunes user, you do enjoy the show, that would be very, very much appreciated indeed. But let's get on with it then. 1996-97, a roller coaster of a season as we talk Middlesbrough, Man United, Arsenal, Newcastle, Beckham, Shearer, Zola. There's so much to talk about it. Me, Joe and Simon, chewing the fat on 96-97. Enjoy the show. Joining me on the line then as we continue our season-by-season season countdown, we are 1996-97, so we're not far from the end now, and it's a pleasure to welcome back to the show, he is the head of the Giannino fan club, he's a social media mogul in the TV world, and he's the grandfather clock of AK90s, Joe Young, how you doing buddy? I'm very well Ash, how are you? I'm good, yes, it's very sunny outside, last time we spoke to you, you were outside, are you outside today? I'm not outside today, no, I'm inside. The cat is uh, sleeping next to me. We're all good. And I owe you a thank you for your sort of inverted role in getting Alexi Lalas on the show last time. Well, I have to say, Ash, that I really enjoyed the last podcast. Mostly because my name was mentioned about 15 times (laughs) in the the first 10 minutes. (laughs) Just proves how much I love you, Joel. Yes, no, thank you. It was good good for the old ego, that. I enjoyed that. Good. Um, It was a very... it all turned out nice again, didn't it? It was one of those nice sort of Twitter um, foibles of just something happened to happen and then, you know, you've always got to jump in with, with these things. Yes, so, yeah. it did. And this is how this show happened, funnily enough. Good segue there. Indeed. 
we were talking on Twitter and uh, our other guests got involved. We were both trying to get Trevor Sinclair on the show and he still hasn't answered us, but we'll get him eventually. But joining us for the first time, he's a producer in TV, radio and social media, Simon Needle. And he's a United fan. Welcome to AK90, Simon. Thanks very much. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be on the, on the, on the podcast. Um, oh. Long-time long fan, first-time caller sort of thing. So, Go, we've uh, never yeah. had one of them. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say that. They're all listening to it, really. Yeah. But, well, here no, we not anybody who says first, what, long-time listener, first-time no, caller. That's old school. That's a bit, ni- well, probably even pre-90s, isn't it, to be honest? Yeah. But we're talking I, about um, 697 today. Yeah, I, uh, I, I should just say there as well, yeah, I worked with Trevor a couple of years you helped me out with the uh, with uh, 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 I worked on the FA People's Cup, which was uh, run by the BBC and uh, and the FA, and he helped me out with a with a cup drawer on that. So next time I bump into him, I'll I'll put in a good word for you. Yeah, I have got his number because I obviously we are part of the QPR podcast, and he's been on that as well. So I'm, he just won't reply to me, <laughs> which is well, no, he replied once actually, and and said he's a very he's a very busy man. I'll give him that. So I'm sure he will come on at some point. It's a shame we can't talk about that goal today because I'll mention it probably about six or seven times when we go through ninety six, ninety seven. Um, but yeah, we'll get him on the show at some point. I'm sure we will. Um, before we get to it though, Simon, you are a debutant, so that means a football CV we can get up. And you're a United fan. I must say we're not we've not fired Matthew Chris. Who is generally who's been our main United uh, correspondent, I suppose, in this countdown? We've just this Twitter thing happened, and I thought we'll get someone on the show, get a new voice, fresh opinions on Man United. So, your favourite United player of the nineties, Simon? Uh, it's a tough one. There's quite a few. Uh, the one who used to pretend to be in the playground was uh, Andre Kinchelskis, but um, where I'm from in Manchester is Middleton, and uh, one of its most famous uh, sons is uh, Paul Scholes. So. For me, it has to be Paul Scholes. Uh, I think pretty much everyone's got a story about him from uh, the people I know from Middleton. Um, and my brother uh, once, once or twice had a kickabout with him. And uh, I think he was at the actual uh, uh, the Middleton Leisure Centre when Scholes got uh, dragged in with some of his mates, uh, Brian Stevenson and Paul O'Keefe and Dean Kirby. Um, and that was when Scholes was sort of spotted by... I think it was Brian Kidd. So, so for me, it has to be Skulls. He's. Uh, I, I know. I know. It's of. Uh, I'm spoiled for choice being a United fan in the nineties, but but yeah, it's uh, it's got it's got to be Skulls on it, really. You are spoiled for choice. You know what's funny though? A man of Man United fans that come on and say Kinchelskis, or at least give him a mention, and he's not somebody that when I started this show, I ever thought that I would get as many mentions. Obviously, the big ones are Eric Cantona, even Hughes, Michael, but. Kinchelski seems to be was quite well loved at Old Trafford, was he? Well, I, I particularly liked him because he was attacking. There was uh, there was every time he was on the ball, it was entertaining to watch. And uh, I, the first game I went to, uh, he scored in, so that was sort of sealed mm. the deal for me. Mm. Um, but the the other reason why I sort of uh, was a big fan of him and why I probably still remember it was because I wanted his name and number on the sh- the back of a United <laughs> shirt that I had. Which, uh, obviously, when my dad said, oh, yeah, uh, my dad being a Man City fan, that's a different story altogether. But he took, me, he, he took me to a game and he said, yeah, because it's your birthday, you can have uh, any name and number you want on the back. And I said, Kinchelskis, number 14, on the back, which I think he just looked at me like I was uh, trying to rob him of all the money left in his pockets at the end of the day. But, but, um, but no, I, I think the thing with Kinchelskis is that, um, obviously, he was there in the, the sort of, the seasons where United began the sort of epic uh, 
their sort of run that they went on winning trophies. But he left probably when he still had uh, lots of potential left. And it was that sort of thing of he left United fans wanting more rather than sort of uh, the sort of playing until his legs are gone sort of thing. So uh, it's probably that. It's probably the fact that he, he left before United fans thought that he should have. But we'll get on to that, I guess, in a second. Yes, indeed. Um, you we, were, we were in for him. I, t- I say this every time you mentioned mentioned. There was a choice between going to Everton or going to us, going to Middlesbrough. And, of course, it shows Everton. And it still rattles. Because I'd have loved to have Kanchelskis at the Borough. Just However, if he, if he would have done that, you wouldn't have got that amazing piece of skill where he stood on the ball with both feet. So, No. I think you had enough <laughs> names that season anyway, but we'll get on to that. You could have had, <laughs> did you end up with ints on the back of your shirt, Simon? Because I think that would have been the cheapest option, wouldn't it? May. No. May. No, I, May. <laughs> David May. Well, yeah. David May, I've got a funny story about, actually. In this season, uh, um, I actually, when I used to play football... Uh, somebody knew David May because he's also from not too far away from Middleton uh, where I grew up and a friend of a friend got him down to play with the Sunday League team that I was playing with and um, I nutmegged him uh, <laughs> and it was it was probably one of the silliest things I've ever done because he, uh, he spent the next sort of 10 minutes kicking lumps out of me so, um, so I learned my lesson anyway but uh, it was yeah he, he's a really nice guy I've, I've bumped into him once or twice since but uh but I, I've never, I've never had the courage to bring up that uh, the fact that I'm not making it. <laughs> he appears in a few Champions League photos in '99, if I remember rightly, David May. Um, but talking outside of Old Trafford, Simon, <laughs> who would be your favourite player of the '90s then? Um, it's a difficult one. I was, uh, like you say, I, uh, I've been watching in the pre sort of pre-season. I've been watching a lot of uh, uh, old footage on on sort of uh, on the internet and on Sky. And I think the uh, the thing for me is. I was, even though he's a Liverpool player, I was a big fan of Robbie Fowler, and I think in those sort of three or four mm. seasons during the nineties, he was he was electric. But um, but out, out, outside of that, I think uh, it's it, it's a difficult one. I think uh, probably Zola really, mm. uh, just the the flair that he brought to it, and being a sort of uh, a fairly short fellow myself, I always appreciated what he what he could do on the pitch. Join the club, Simon. Join the club, will you? I've got, I've got plenty to say about Gianfranco Zola. Go on, then. Don't, don't you worry. <laughs> oh, we'll wait, then. We'll wait. Um, obviously, you can tell Joe... by the tone of my voice that it's not going to be It's good. not going to be great, no. Well, we'll say Brian Dean to the end as well, but we've, he still hasn't forgiven you for opening day. But, Joe, I know we haven't got really CVs. We've run out with you. Anything 90s-related you want to mention before we get into the meat of the show? Uh, I was just going to say about... Um, you were talking about, uh, before the Alexi last one, the season before this, and... and the um, Faustino Aspria, uh-huh. and sort of saying that he caused the wheels to come off. Well, I was at Aspria's debut. He, he was at the Rim- yeah, Middlesbrough, yeah, I remember. He made his debut against us, and I was there. And again, as like Andre Kanchelskis, it was the uh, Andre Kanchelskis who I saw torment Chris Morris. This was Faustino Aspria versus Chris Morris, and we were winning 1-0 with 10 minutes to go. Aspria came on and uh, Chris Morris just didn't know what to do with him. And Jordy's ended up winning 2-1 at our place. So for all, you know, they were getting beat at our place before. And they looked hopeless to Jordy's that game before he came on. Then he came on and he tortured. So for all that talk, he lost in the league, he lost in the league. He certainly picked him up three points on his debut. 
Well, at least he did something, and he did score a hat trick against Barcelona, which I'm sure we'll talk about at some point on here as well. Uh, that but we're was talk- next season, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah it was the final season. So we'll talk ninety six, ninety seven now, though. Um, obviously, with that, it goes without saying it's such a bonkers season, Middlesbrough. We will we'll get on to that. But I thought I'd start firstly with the summer because it was a, one of those summers where, well, hundred and twenty million was spent, which I know in today's values that seems like nothing that probably buys you a couple of Kyle Walkers but in 1996 I mean that was a lot a lot of money people like Viali, Ravnelli, Berger, Emerson and then Newcastle splashing 15 million pounds which at the time was a world record fee on Alan Shearer I remember it being breaking news during the Olympics because we didn't have Sky Sports News at that point and Des Lynam was doing Olympic duty and he said we're going to stop we've got some breaking news and Alan Shearer had decided to sign for Newcastle ahead of Man United. So that's where I wanted to begin, um, first of all, by saying, and I, Simon, how did you feel? Nearest rivals turned down from United for Newcastle. Did you think going into that season you, that Newcastle were going to challenge you even harder than the season before? Yeah, I think um, I think everyone saw that it was a, a, a really tight season uh, the season before that. And I think... Coming into coming into this season, I think everyone expected Blackburn to do quite well as well. But um, but Shearer going to Newcastle, I just remember thinking I was at my grandma's when it happened. I remember just watching, like you say, watching the telly and um, and it flashing up and thinking fifty like fifteen million pounds is a lot of money. And he was just trying to trying to work it out. And I remember um, uh, sort of a family friend had said that you know. If if you if you want to know how much it is, just try counting to fifteen million. It's a, it's a it's a large amount of money, and in, nowadays it sounds ridiculous. It's sort of you know when players are going for eighty million sort of thing. It's it's you know it's a different world. But but um but no, I, I the the thing that I remember as well is just the kit. I I have loved the kit in that season. I think Newcastle hammered like just completely look classic in that season uh, in the kits that they that they had really and I remember him coming out sort of wearing that and thinking that um, that Newcastle were going to obviously be strong opposition as well that season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the granddad collar was a big favourite wasn't he? I think when we did our pit, uh, kit podcast with John Devlin who is like the oracle of, of kits that was his favourite of the decade and it's the Juventus kit this season looks very similar actually um, talking of signings as well then Joe I mean before the wheels came off during that season which we'll get to when you were signing Ravinelli and Emerson and all the fanfare at Borough what were your expectations that summer? Um, I, I thought we'd be pushing for Europe in all honesty I thought we'd be sort of top six and but what probably quite naively at the time is that and, and something that we came to learn very harshly this season was that it's it's fair enough going out and buying Ravinelli and Emerson and already having Janino and Nicky Barnby at the club and that's all well and good but it's not particularly great if they get injured and Chris Freestone has to come in and Stampy <laughs> has to play in midfield you know and that was the story of the season really is that you know, we didn't have the depth, and then especially at the end, uh, you know, it all came tumbling down. But um, that was the thing, you know. But just excitement, excitement, excitement. Um, you got to remember, Ravinelli had won the European Cup the year before. In fact, the two strikers at Juventus, because uh, Viali was his strike yeah. partner at that time, both of them had come to the English league, which you just you just think that's incredible. And you know, Chelsea, fair enough, it's London, it's Chelsea even though they were just in that sort of... They were just becoming the Chelsea that we know now. But um, for us, for Borough to go and do that, get Ravinelli, the, you know, one of the best strikers in the world at that point, 
getting Emerson, who was one of the most sought-after midfielders in the world, you know, constantly compared with Brian Robson. Uh, you know, we already had the other shining prospect in the world. I think, I think what that, what the, those signings did was they they helped open up the Premier League. We were already getting these sort of star players here and there, but I think what those signings did for the Premier League and the, and the English league as a whole is they proved that this was the place to come, and it didn't sort of matter where you went particularly within that league, but there was money to be made here. Ravnelli getting 42 grand a week was front page news, you know, and, and the start of all that tabloid hatred towards Middlesbrough for whatever reason. Um, you know, so just hugely, hugely, hugely exciting. And we, we felt that we'd had a strong season the year before, you know, I think we finished 12, 13. Um, and then this year, it's like, right, we can keep on now, we can get in Europe, we can do this, we can do that. You know, that was kind of the narrative that we'd uh, create for ourselves, I suppose. Mm. You mentioned the signings. I think Burkham and Klinsman kind of opened the gate, didn't they? But I think you're right. In this season, getting Ravinelli, getting Viali, the, the money they were spending on Shearer, it didn't well, make a statement, it, didn't it? Yeah. Well, well, I think what you know, Dennis Burkham went to Arsenal. Jurgen Klinsman went to Tottenham. This is three absolutely world-class players going to Middlesbrough, and I'm a Middlesbrough fan, obviously. You know, but. That's a different kind of thing because then that opens it up for teams of that level. For even though Blackburn Rovers have won the league, they've done it without a sort of mega foreign superstar. You know, it sort of opened it up that everybody was going to be able to go and start doing this now. And, and you sort of saw that, and the floodgates opened after that. I think. Yeah, it, that is exactly the note that I've got written down. I just, <laughs> when I was going through, I wrote down the exact same thing. That this year is sort of the year that the floodgates did open. But the the thing with it is, is that it was. The season where, as well, clubs realised that this injection of money from the new Premier League, it wasn't going anywhere, that they could go out there and spend a little bit of it and they didn't need to be so guarded. I know certain clubs have done it before, but this, you know, obviously Middlesbrough, not exactly massive amounts of money. I'm sure you'll disagree, though, Joel. But, they, you know, this is where they realised that they had to go out there and spend big. And they, the, I think the, the one thing that I remember from the time is Overnight, seeing playground celebrations change from people pretending to dive to be Jurgen Klinsmann and pretending to be Cantona, and everyone pulling their shirt over the head like Ravinelli. Like overnight, seeing it <laughs> happen, so it had an, a sort of immediate impact as well. Yeah, it did. Um, you talk about those guys as well. We talk about the opening down. I know me and Joe, we talked about opening down a very first episode of AK Nineties. Go and check it out in the archives. But May United and Middlesbrough is very much of that opening day because not only did we have Ravinelli and that hat trick which you talked about against Liverpool, but we had the David Beckham moment. It's the, in the, the kind of the moment he announced himself properly to the world. That long range, whatever you want to call it, hit and hope or precise kick into the back. I don't know. But Simon, for you, Beckham, was this the moment United fans thought, hang on, we really have got somebody here who's going to lead us in a new number seven? He was wearing ten he was yeah, I was going to say he was wearing ten that season. Um, Cantona. Oh, I know. Yeah, I know. I was. Meant, I meant that in the future. Yeah, I know he's wearing ten. <laughs> Don't doubt me on squad numbers. There was. Um, I think the thing with that was that with with Beckham, I think people knew that he was a talent. Uh, the season before, I remember there was a European game that was sort of played on a Wednesday night, and he scored in that, possibly against Galatasaray. I think, and that was sort of where he really, for United fans, he announced himself. But I think. Uh, for the rest of the world, the the long range goal was sort of where he op- he opened up the rest of the world's eyes. Um, but with with that Beckham goal, and and particularly going through the season, the one thing that always stood out to me was that um, 
Gary Neville went to Euro 96 and obviously Gary Neville's a very good friend of David Beckham's and I'm sure somewhere that that spurred him on just to uh, in the next season go ahead and push a little bit further move his game on a bit and I think um, the opening day of the season it's a perfect opportunity and and there he does he he, he makes uh, Neil Sullivan uh, regret watching any form of highlight show for the rest of all time I think (laughs) Yeah, he did, yeah. We talked about Ravnelli on our first episode, didn't we, Joel? But yeah, it was a I remember it being one of those opening days where it just felt like, Oh, football is back and the sun was out and Ravanelli was scoring hat tricks. It was one of those opening opening weekends that was quite probably the best one, I think. Yeah, I mean I mean we said this before, but I was at that game. Uh, you'll hear that a lot in this podcast, by the way. I was at that game. I was at that game. I was at that game. Um, but no, I was at that one. That was the one you know, we it felt very um you know, it's one of them where, you know, we've, we've hoped and we've dreamed all summer and we've made these incredible signings. And then what happens? Liverpool come and Bjornaby scores after five minutes. And you're kind of like, oh, OK, all right. But Ravinelli, um, yeah, gets the hat-trick. And it's a proper hat-trick as well. It's a, a left-foot, right-foot penalty, I think. As I remember, off the I wouldn't care as well. I watched it last night. But that was the kind of thing that if we could... It just served our what we've been saying, you know. If we could battle with Liverpool like that with this team full of stars and everything, then it's going to be, it's going to be a cracking season for it. And, and you know, it was in many ways. We'll talk about that, but that's talk of the top half of the table to start with, with Simon especially, because the title race that season was a really funny one. And I think someone mentioned this on Twitter as well. Um, I said in the intro that it didn't seem like anyone wanted to win it that season. There was a lot of teams in the mix. I think there was five points separating the top six going into December. May United started slow. Sheffield Wednesday started really well. Liverpool were top at one point. Arsenal were top at one point. It wasn't until after Christmas and May United went on this unbeaten run from about November going into the new year that they sort of started to run away. Newcastle started to fall away. Liverpool started to fall away. I mean, no, Simon, how did you see that season as a title race? Not that I'm saying it was sort of cruise control for Man United, but no one really got to you in a certain Newcastle way or Blackburn or the Arsenal did in future seasons, did they? No, and I think um, with with that season, it's, it's quite interesting that uh, we were talking there about the, the introduction, just as wh- which teams do we think was going to challenge United? But... Going into that season, obviously, they, they weren't the champions and they had a lot to prove. And I think uh, the Hansen comment, you don't win anything with kids, was still lingering around a year on. I think that's why it's still so so well known, even though it is becoming a bit of a football cliche. But but going into that season, he was looking like he was being proven right. And the, the players that United had brought through um, hadn't hadn't won anything yet. They, they had a lot to prove. And I think... Um, it was only at the Community Shield of that season, uh, which I was thinking about earlier on, it, it, it was that game really where United looked like they, they wanted to come out and show that they were, they were sort of dominant, really. Because um, that, that, that was where they battered Newcastle 4-0. Yeah, and it was. Called, it was. And, Simon, and Simon, it's called the Charity Shield on this podcast, not the Community Shield. Oh, sorry, <laughs> my apologies. <laughs> Um, but yeah, during that charity shield, there was uh, sort of uh, again Beckham, a brilliant. I think it was him. He crossed a, a ball in brilliantly, and Nicky Butt uh, did a diving header that looked like something out of uh, Sensible Soccer. And um, and he sort of uh, he left the pitch about ten minutes later because he had concussion because he headed the ball that hard. 
Um, but I, re- I remember that as just as a game, as just an introduction to to United in that season, and thinking that they looked like they had potential. But uh, but I think a lot of frustration was still there with uh, getting rid of sort of the the bigger players the season before, and uh, Andy Cole, who was still people were still waiting for Andy Cole to be the sort of the player that he was at Newcastle at that time. Yeah, there were two blips on the right. We'll get to the end of the season and how well the title um, sort of running was for Man United. But there were the October blip is well remembered from that season. Uh, of course, it's the Newcastle game where they sort of returned the favour, didn't they, from the Charity Shield? Um, that famous Philip Albert goal. And some. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and some. That great commentary for Martin Tyler as well. And then there's the famous Southampton game and that kit. I mean, as a Man United fan, where does that rank in your kind of, oh, come on, Alex? theories in terms of was it really the kit or did they just not turn up in that first half well I quite like the blue and white one that they played in personally and uh, I, I did own I have to say I am one of the people that uh, did own the grey kit because it was cheaper than all the others I must say but um, <laughs> I wonder why uh, but yeah in that game I think uh, you know obviously they just didn't look like they were at the races and um and Newcastle obviously stuffed them five nil, and and but between that and the the six three, um, it was yeah, it was looking like they were about to about to wobble and fall away early. Um, but I think I think being a United fan, you're you're ever the optimist, and you're just always hoping that they'll find a way out of it, which they did. But Joe, those that blip. Did you think at that point that the title may not be Man United at this point from a neutral oh, point of view? Think- I don't think there was any uh, any doubt in my mind there. I thought United were going to get the, the league that year. I think. I think even from the beginning. I think that you know, like you said, the stage was set set with Beckham. But it was good to. I, I'm sort of not one of these who jumps on that. I hate Man United bandwagon. I quite like United. I I don't see what the issue is that a lot of fans have with them. Uh, but I do remember having a good laugh that day. The Southampton game <laughs> because you know. Chelsea played in a similar sort of kit for a lot of years, and they did, you know, and I think they had it as a third kit, did they, Ash? Yeah, they, so, uh, well, that was yeah. the away kit, the, the granite and grey one they had in the uh, the first season of Red Hullet, yeah, season before, I yeah, think. Yeah, grey and grey and orange, was it? Yeah, something? granite and orange, um, yeah. yeah. I never heard Chelsea complaining about the kit. <laughs> no. Well, United have got the grey one this year, haven't they? The third kit, which I absolutely love, that's got the motif on it. So let's see how well they see each other when they play in that in, in this season. But going towards the end of the season, as I said, a lot of the challenges faded away. There were some silly defeats for Liverpool at Coventry. David James famously saying that video games were getting to him too much and he had uh, too many mistakes. And then there was a game at, uh, at Anfield that really kind of put the tin lid on Liverpool's uh, title credentials when Gary Pallister of all people scored two towering headers as Man United beat Liverpool 3-1 at Anfield uh, and the title was won on a fateful night at Selhurst Park when Man United weren't even playing and Wimbledon they beat Liverpool 2-1 at Selhurst Park Wimbledon themselves who had a great season There's a couple of people mentioned that on Twitter that Wimbledon had a good season they not Man United at the cup that year but Simon that night do you remember that night that game Michael Owen's debut of course and that was the night that sealed the title for United wasn't it yeah and uh, I, I think I was round at my friend's house and because uh, uh, I wasn't, uh, I can't remember why we'd we'd all gone round there anyway, and we were watching the game and just thinking, "Oh, great, that's it." And then you sort of you you have to wait until a couple of days later for United to get the trophy. But it feels it feels somewhat hollow when it happens like that. I always think I always think it's uh, it, it's great that it happens. Don't get me wrong, but it, you, you sort of 
you you want those uh, for 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 want of a better phrase, you want the Aguero moments, the ninety third minute dying goals, sort of a uh, last minute goals. So um, to ha- have it happen, uh, sort of a hundred, two hundred, three hundred miles away, um, it feels uh, it feels a little bit separate. That was that famous shot of them celebrating, wasn't there, the next day of them at the training ground. But you're right, it's not the same. But it was another title wrapped up um, for, for Man United. How do you rate that season in terms of all the seasons? You know, Man United was a glorious decade, as we know. Where does that rank for you in, in the seasons of Man United? It's a pretty good season. You know, you can't, you can't, uh, you can't look too far past it. I think, um, I think the obviously... The, I, the big thing that it seemed like United were going for was uh, further success, sort of uh, further progression, I should say, in the Champions League. And they played against, I think it was Borussia Dortmund that year, uh, lost each leg uh, 1-0. And then um, you sort of, you're hoping that uh, that is the case, that they are looking for progression. But as you say, you know, uh, it's the emergence of Beckham that year that, that sort of stands out. He was, uh, I think, he was the PFA Young Player yeah. of the Year, yeah, and he was. Um, and he, he got his. I think it was that season. I'm fairly certain it was that season, or it's the one after, because uh, he he scored 11 and 12, and I can't remember which way around. I think he got 12 this season, which was his it'd make his highest uh, goal scoring tally um, in English football that like in the Premier League. So, um, but the the thing that obviously for United in terms of uh, the uh, class of '92 progressing into the team. You've also got the signings that they made that summer, which was uh, I was there at the training ground when they when they brought them out for the for the photographers and I remember Fergie coming out and um, he, alongside him he had Carol uh, uh, Poborski, uh, Jordi Cruyff, uh, Ronnie Johnson, um, Raymond Van der Gaal, and uh, and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And, uh, as, as five signings, uh, you know, you, you sort of looking at Poborski had a great year, a great tournament in Euro 96 and thinking, God, it's going to be brilliant. But um, I was reading Fergie's book a couple of weeks ago and I, 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 there was a brilliant quote in it that he said uh, he could never understand why he had long hair and uh, sort of it, it made him look like he was, uh, he was going to play for Led Zeppelin rather than Man United. <laughs> and, and, and that as a, that is a, a sort of umbrella uh, statement for Karol Poborski's career at United. Um, pretty much sums it up. He was, he, he, you know, he, he got into the goal of the season uh, for for ninety six ninety seven, which is amazing considering uh, that that his career was sort of done at United in eighteen months, really, which is it's a bit of a shame, but. Um, but yeah, I remember him coming on the scene and he just looked completely different to all the other United players that were there. And um, one of the, just a, a funny little thing that happened while we were at the training ground that day when they brought all the five players out, they had um, sort of, the players turned up in all these flash cars and um, um, sort of one of my favourite unsung heroes of United's teams during the 90s was Raymond van der Gowen and um I, I, I spot him because he obviously is a big guy, but everyone drives in in sort of Porsche and Ferraris and Aston Martins, and Raymond van der Gaal drove in in a Vauxhall, Vauxhall Vectra estate, which, um, <laughs> which was just magnificent because obviously nobody bothered him for autographs because they didn't think he was anyone special. 
and then he gets out of the car and he's, he's sort of head and shoulders above uh, the rest of the players that were there. And I always thought it was a, I always thought that was a great sort of uh, analogy for who Raymond Van der Gaal was at United mm. under under um, under. Under uh, underpinned United's you know, success, but yeah, I think that's a fair. Yeah, I think it's the first time we've had his name mentioned on the podcast. But I think you're right, kind of a underappreciated member of that squad, possibly. Um, he wears a he wears a, a, an awful purple kit though that season. Oh, I, I love that, that, that kit. Oh, I, I think he looks like a, a six-foot pack of uh, lem- black or lemsip or something. <laughs> <laughs> I think the Peter Schmeichel, uh, what were those figures called? They're in the book. They're slightly bigger. They're not Corinthians. They're made by Hasbro or called Sports Stars or something. They were quite big figures. But the Peter Schmeichel figure, they must have been this season that they come out, is wearing that purple kit. Yeah, goalkeeper kits were made to be like that in the 90s, <laughs> weren't they? Let's be honest. Um, talking to Newcastle quickly before we get today's guest, um, we just want to talk about how their title bid fell away and it was mainly down to Shearer got injured during the season but also Kevin Keegan sensationally quit the club halfway through the season had enough didn't thought he couldn't take the club any further had enough of management at that point didn't even feel like he was going to be back in the game Joe was a man from the northeast how did you see this going down what did you feel about the Keegan it was really an end of an era for that team and the entertainers as they were called wasn't it it was a glorious day <laughs> it was. It was a glorious day. As we, I tell you where else it happened that day as well. We beat Liverpool in the quarterfinals of the League Cup, and, uh, and Keegan resigned. It was a glorious day. You got to remember that all we had shoved down our throats for years and years, and still do. You know, for years and years and years is how good the Jordies are. The local telly up in uh, the northeast is so Newcastle biased. It's unbelievable because they're all Jordy fans, all of them. One of the writers on the local Middlesbrough paper on Middlesbrough is a Jordan fan. That's not a rumour. People are going to text me like, it's just a rumour. It's not true. Ask Brandy told me. Um, we are so downtrodden. So when that happened that day, this is like Keegan's rant itself. When that happened that day, that was glorious because we'd already knocked him out of the League Cup. We were, we were going to Wembley. And Keegan just spitting his dummy out and marching out of that lot. And they couldn't get it back. I still don't understand why he's like held like a god up there. Because to me, he was just a morning whining, spent too much money, couldn't get the job done. And to see him fail, honestly, as a Middlesbrough fan, was brilliant. I'm glad there you took your, uh, I'm glad you took your biased hat on off that one. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I just think you sort of get it shoved down your throat about what a genius and what a god Kevin Keegan is. Well, he didn't do it at Newcastle and he didn't do it anywhere else and he didn't do it for England. So, sorry, it was great. It was glorious. And seeing all those Geordies crying, Fantastic. I mean, we'll get the Middlesbrough fans crying later on, yeah. but uh, to see all those Geordies crying, it was it was glorious. I'm not really into all that stuff now, but I was probably only about 19, 20 then. And when it all went down, oh, I couldn't have been happier. Did you love it? Don't sit on the face. <laughs> don't sit on the fence, mate. I don't really feel. So, in fact, I found, because I used to write a diary when I was a kid, and all it is is just smiley faces of that day, and I know exactly what day it was. <laughs> All these Geordies crying outside St James Park. Meanwhile, we beat Liverpool in the cup. It's just fantastic. It doesn't get better than that, really. <laughs> so, Simon, having an unbiased view of this incident, what what were your thoughts of, of Kevin Keegan quitting Newcastle? I, I think he was shocked. You know, Newcastle, really, they, they looked like they were putting the side together. You know, they looked like they were really, uh, you know, Beardsley, you've sort of got Shearer there, Batty was playing quite well that season. It was... It's just a. Uh, I remember it coming as a complete shock, but thinking though also at the same time that um, 
I just remember thinking, why would Keegan walk away from that? It was hard to imagine sort of uh, Fergie walking away from United just one afternoon because somebody, you know, he had a disagreement with somebody, and I'm sure that's the simplification of of that sort of relationship up there with uh, Sir John Hall. But I think it just feels like um, it just. I remember thinking it just felt very, uh, very quick and very. Uh, very much like a, a, a shock. It did. And to tell us more about that, somebody who probably knew more than anyone about what was going on at that time and at Newcastle in general was the assistant manager to Kevin Keegan in that season and during that heady days of the mid-90s. He's fought, he was a Liverpool legend during the decade before. He was assistant manager at Newcastle and defensive coach at one point as well. He is former Newcastle assistant manager, Terry McDermott, talking to me earlier today on Alive and Kicking. Joining me on the line now Big pleasure to speak to someone. A Liverpool great, but we're going back to the 90s with him on the Newcastle dugout. Terry McDermott, welcome to Alive and Kicking. Thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you, Ash. Uh, we're going to, as I said, we're taking you back to the 90s and, and Newcastle. Um, obviously, you're, you're well known at that point for your time at Liverpool, a legend at Liverpool, of course, but you quit football sort of late 80s in Greece. What enticed you back into football for becoming assistant manager to then Kevin Keegan's Newcastle? Well, you just you just answered my question, Kevin Keegan. I don't think it would have been anyone else. I, I wouldn't have because I was enjoying my life at the time, going golfing, going um, socialising, shall we say, and uh, just generally enjoying life, you know, because um, it is restricted when you're at football, you know. It's, it's 24-7, no matter what people think, you know, because you're thinking about it even when you're lying in bed. But, um, yeah, it's been great. It's, um, it's the best thing I've ever done anyway, you know. I've made some bad decisions in life, but that certainly wasn't one of them. Do you remember what, so did Kevin have even convince you or was it really the fact that Kevin had gone there and, and started this journey that was enough for you to, to, to join him? No, when, when, he, when, he, um, when I actually spoke to him, it took him about um, 12 seconds, I think, for <laughs> me to say, right, I'll say, but when do you want me? And that's literally true, really, you know. Um, he, he rang us up and um, I said it was only going to be for three or four months and we keep him up because if he went down, there was going to be no Newcastle United anymore and then um, he said you know, the, you know let's go back and we both you know, were very fond of Newcastle and me certainly because I played for them before I went to Liverpool and Kevin you know for the 82 to 84 in which I was there as well and we just loved the club and it's, it's a fantastic club mm-hmm. was, that, was that the pull as well the fact that it was Newcastle I mean if Kevin had come to you and he yeah. in some other club but the fact that obviously you played there and you knew the club was that a big pull for yourself? Yeah, but I don't think I don't think Kevin would have just gone to anywhere. That's for sure. He would, you know, it, it was because it was it, it was Newcastle because his father is from Hetton Hall, which is uh, you know just to the side of Gateshead. So he, he's got that connection as well. He had that connection, and it was too you know bigger offer, not 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 financially wise, just to to, to try and save Newcastle really. Mm. And um, and I I played there before twice. Love the area, still live in the area as we speak now. I'm in Newcastle. Um, just love the area and I love being here. But also love going to Liverpool as well. <laughs> going um, going down to Liverpool, spending two or three days down there. We're going obviously working and doing a little bit of stuff at Liverpool. Um, I just uh, I'm, life is good at the minute, so long may I continue. Mm. When you went there, obviously Newcastle were in a bad shape, but uh, they looked like they were, were getting relegated. You saved them, but how big a job? Did it look going in there that to, to save them from relegation that season in 92, well, 93? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, when we first went there, you know, it was nice to obviously, and it was to keep them up, you know. So when when we actually kept them up, which we honestly, but we probably didn't think it would happen because me and Kevin were staying in the hotel and the Jason rooms, and every night we'd go into one of the rooms and look at the the um, league table and see where we were and what points we needed and. You know how many goals against, how many goals for, could it go down, goal difference, and all this. So every night, what we talked about, you know, can we do it? Can we do it? And um, last day we done it, and uh, no one expected it. You know, because Kevin had been out the game for a long time, you know, been living in Spain. Um, but you know, I'm sure if you ask Kevin, he'd say the same as me. You know, it's the best thing he'd ever decision he's ever made. It's going and um, saving Newcastle because he loves the club like I do. Mm. And you went up the next season, of course, uh, under Kevin Keegan as well. How how mm. big a deal so early in your own sort of managerial career was that for you and Kevin? Oh, it's fantastic. But I mean, you know, when you think about it, look, look back, I know you can't do it now because you need badges and everything, which is a joke in my eyes anyway. But you're asking, you know, um, Kevin hadn't passed any, um, what do you call them? Um, yeah, the, you know the budgets. Yeah. I can't just name for them. Anyway, um, you know he, he didn't have any. I didn't. I didn't have any. And we went in there very raw. But we knew what we were capable of. We knew that we had a passion for the club. We had a passion. You know, once you got involved at Newcastle, you know you'd always want to be involved there because it's a great club and still is, even though they're going through a little turbulence at the minute. But it's been, it's, you know, it's um, it's like that now. You know, it's it's just a great club. But then. It was, you know, when you think about what actually happened, you know, going from the league um, for three months, we keep them in, we did. Then the next season, we won the league, we were in the Premier League. And then within a, within a year and a half of joining, we were in the Premier League. And I think I think the first year we come second, didn't we? Or something, something ridiculous like that. And we, were, you know, we were a really good team. You know, we've gone from, you know, from going down in 92 to... 93 season to 93 94 season to being playing in the Premier League. Mm. You can't really talk 90s football without the Newcastle story. There's so many points you could go, you could talk all day about the story of Newcastle in the 90s, especially that mid period. But I mean, starting off, like you said, you got them up to the Premier League. Andy Cole was a massive um, player for you at the time. He scored a load of goals that first season. How good a player was Andy? Um, Andy was a, a, raw, a raw player when, when he, he was at the club. He's a smashing kid. He, he wants to be a, a proper player. He, he's been fantastic. He's played, he's played for the country. He never dreamed he was going to play for Newcastle, never mind his country. And um, yeah, he, he, was, he was more or less in the reserve when we were there. Um, but I used to go sometimes go to the reserves with, with Lee Clark, who was the manager. And this was after Kevin left. And um, it was it was a pleasure to to go with the because you got people like Andy Carroll, who was a big role player, um, but great ability, great, fantastic in the air, and you wouldn't like to. Just one thing was sure you wouldn't like to mark him every week of the, of the year because he was he's such a strong player, you know. So we had there were some great players around about our time, you know. But, but Andy was a bit later, you know, um, after Kevin had left. Mm. Um, but before then, you know, you you got to, you got the likes of bringing back Peter Beardsley, and we're a master stroke by Kevin, you know, and that was one of the better reasons why we went up because of him. But when we looked in the transfer market, or Kevin looking at the transfer market and see what you know, money we had, which wasn't a great deal, 
you know, we, we brought in quality players for, you know, small money. Like to Barry Venison, mm. you know, not once at Liverpool, and he was absolutely fantastic for Newcastle. Like, likewise, Ben Brian Kilfine, he didn't. I don't think he cost anything, but he came to the club, and it was like Kevin's always said that he's the, the most important signing he made um, at Newcastle, and all the time he's at Newcastle because he he, he led the he led the, the team. He was a captain. Everyone respected him. And uh, it, it was fantastic, but we had a lot of good players. Paul Bracewell, you know, we came in from from um, Everton, I think was it. Um, but you know, great player, great pro. Um, and so we were lucky that we we didn't have a great deal of money. But Sir John, um, Freddie um, Shepherd, and Freddie Fletcher, Douglas Hall, they were great people to work for because um, they they loved Newcastle like we did, and. Um, and we all know what happened later on. And, you know, I, I think um, uh, Alan Shearer back and people like that, Les Ferdinand, David Ginola, that was later on, I know. But that's, you know, we had to start from, from nowhere, being a team that's going into the old second division. So three or four years later, having a go going within a whisker of, of winning the league. And, and honestly, my opinion, we should have won the league. Yeah, you mentioned that. That is obviously the big one of the big stories from that decade, where that season, the entertainers, of course, Newcastle were, were called, yeah. and you were twelve points clear going into the new year. I mean, for you, yeah. you know, Kevin was often criticised for being a bit too gung ho. You were on the coaching staff at the time. What yeah. for you? What happened with that twelve points? What was it about it that didn't quite get you over the line? Man United. <laughs> <laughs> it's the easy well, answer, yeah. Yeah, Man United because they kept on winning. I mean, it's as simple as that, you know. That. Uh, but they kept on winning. I think they won. I think the last thirteen games. I think they must have won something like eleven or, or twelve or something like that, and drew one. You know, and we were, you know, we were playing team. You know, Liverpool, the Liverpool game, the famous Liverpool game, the best game that's probably ever been in the, in, in, in certainly in the nineties. Um, it was an unbelievable game, but we got beat. You know, if we'd won that game, we'd have won the league. Mm. But we still had time to, you know, to. We went to Blackburn. We're winning one, one nil. But minutes to go, seconds to go, he scored two goals in the last in injury time. You know, and went to Nott Forest, winning one nil. They got one, and they got a, a well. I think it was Ian Warm. He stuck in the top corner from about thirty yards. Now normally when you do that, you know that it goes in the stand, but it went right in the roof of the net. So they were all points that we were throwing away. But sometimes you don't mind losing, but you hope that maybe Man United would lose, but they didn't. They kept on winning. So Manchester United was a great team that day, that year. But I honestly think that we were the better team. But they always say the best team always wins the league. But on this occasion, I wouldn't, I wouldn't agree with that. Do you think it <laughs> I would do, the, wouldn't I? Though. <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, I agree with you. You were a fantastic team to watch. But do you think it was the experience that Man United had, had been in there and done it that just had gave them the edge over a Newcastle team that? Were a lot of players there who hadn't been in that position before? I, I didn't. I, I missed that. I went off. Sorry. Do you think it was maybe the experience factor, whereas Man United had been there before, whereas Newcastle had a lot of players that were new uh, to that position? Yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't disagree with that. Um, Man United obviously had players who, you know, when, when you look back, you know, you're looking at Schmeichel was absolutely outstanding. Cantona took them two players out the team. They wouldn't have won any half them games. Yeah, you know when we played at um, St James's in February, I think it was January, February. 
we'd have won that, we'd have probably won the league. Mm-hmm. But Cantona scored the, the goal, and Schmeichel stopped. We were, it, was, it, was, it was an onslaught at one time, and uh, he, kept, he kept on defying us, and we got beat. There's another one we got beat. So, we, yeah, we probably were a bit naive, because we did not play who was actually doing it, you know. We'd had, we'd had um, David Batty, we brought David Batty in. And uh, he was a fantastic player, and he'd done fantastically well at, uh, at Newcastle. But people were thinking, you know, what was he the reason that we didn't win it, or was Chino Asperly the reason why we didn't do it? No, it wasn't. It was the players that just lost their form at the wrong time. Mm. Like to let Ferdinand was going for fun, he stopped scoring as many goals. Peter Beasley wasn't playing as well as he can. Um, and, and you know all the play, all the, the players that you know Rob Lee, people like that. that. I'm not saying they played badly. I'm saying we just lost. You know we didn't know how to win games scruffily. You know we, we entertained and that's what we did. You know and I mean I don't know if you speak to Kevin. I'm sure they say it wouldn't change. I think only only that we did win instead of coming second. Mm. You mentioned Shearer there as well previously that he became the next season. When did you first yeah, he hear did, yeah. of his? upcoming arrival and how big a deal I mean at the time it was going to be a, re- a world record transfer fee which was 15 million which you think is crazy today when you see ne- Neymar going for 200 million <laughs> what, do you, what exactly. were your thoughts at the time of the price tag and, and the fact that bringing Allen back to Newcastle well we couldn't believe it as well I mean I always remember we went we were going across to with, with Newcastle pre-season we were going across to um, I think it was Japan and um, Thailand and places like that um, on, a, on a little bit of a tour pre-season and um, Kevin didn't, you know, he come in one day, he said, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be there, pal. I'm, we're going to go and sign Alan Shearer. I said, never. <laughs> he said, you do, you got to on the, um, be playing with the lads now, follow you on. He went down to um, speak to Alan, persuaded Alan to come to Newcastle. Not that it took a lot of persuading, but mm-hmm. it did take persuading because he, he did, uh, you know, Manchester United were desperate for him. He's already met them. And Kevin went down to meet him. And, uh, I think it was in, uh, in someone's, Apartment thing was Platt. Remember Platt? David mm-hmm. Platt. Yeah. yeah. I think they met at his. I think they met at his um, apartment. Uh, went there. Saw Kevin. You know, once Kevin sits in front of people, he can he can win them over and, and make them see sense. And I think Alan, <clears throat> he done it because he wanted to come back. He done it because yes, he could have gone Man United, but his heart would have been in Newcastle and. It was a shame for him that we never won anything because, you know, he's been a stalwart for, for Newcastle for years and years and years. Never won anything with them. But I, I think if you asked him now, hey, would you change a thing? I think the answer would be no. Mm. Of course, that season, he, he had a bad injury and Newcastle didn't quite win the league again. And he ended up with Kevin leaving the club, quitting the club. I mean, massive blow for, for the town, the club. When did you first mm. know that, that he decided that he was going to quit and how did it make you feel all the time? I didn't mean all that. I, I, he loved the club. That's 100% saying. He loved the club. He wanted to be there. There was things that went on that I wasn't privy to even. Um, and he had, but he had meetings with them. Um, and unfortunately, they couldn't come to an agreement. And, uh, you know, he's, he's a man of his word. There's one thing for Kevin, he's a man of his word. And if he says he's going to do something, invariably or not, he'll do it. And it just, you know, it just didn't seem right what was going on with the, the shares at the club and things like that, you know, which I wasn't privy to. But I knew what was going on. I knew he had a meeting with them in, in Winyard. I knew all that. Um, and I was just waiting for a phone call from him. And I got a phone call from him. 
saying that he wouldn't, he's leaving, going. Mm. And once he, once he said, here we go, and I was going to go with him, absolutely no doubt about it. But he said to me, you know, you stay, you love the club. I know I love the club, but you brought me, I want to go out with you. No, 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 you live there. I'll be all, I'm going back to Manchester and all this. And he did. And, um, yeah, when he come back again, and, and 10 years later, I suppose, but it probably was never the same. Hmm. Well, there'll be more stories from your time in Newcastle in, in the new book that you've recently released, your yeah. autobiography, Living for the Moment. Uh, well, tell us quickly about that and, and why you felt it was the time to, to share your stories. Um, probably the family. You know, they were kept on me, me, my sister, my brothers, um, me, me, me sons, my daughters, my wife. <laughs> We're all saying, why everyone else is doing a book, why don't you? Because I'd never done one. Because I, I didn't really want to do Because I always felt that if, you, if you're writing a book, you've got to, people, you know, to make it successful, you've got to be having a go at certain players or certain referees or certain managers. And I wasn't into that at all. And I didn't in the book. I didn't say anything about anyone, really. Um, I'd, but I told some stories that were true. And people mm. probably look back and go, you're joking, aren't you? You <laughs> didn't do that, did you? Well, so, so you know, I have read the book, obviously, and and I talked to all of the publishers, and they said the book has been absolutely fantastic. To, you know, the sales and everything. But it is, I've, as I say, everyone I've spoken to, have all said the same. He said it's absolutely brilliant. You've been honest, you know, and when I didn't need to be, but it's not a book where you're not going to be honest. So this has been me being myself. And um, it's a great read. I mean, I was even laughing, and I knew what the, uh, what the question was. You know, I knew, I knew. You know, when the punch of the story, I knew what it was, but I still laugh about it. Brilliant. So um, yeah, it's a, it's a great book, and, and um, it's, it's still on sale. So anyone listening to this, don't forget, go and get it for me. You know, <laughs> that way we'll give you a good plug on the show. Thank you very much for talking to us, Terry. That was really Ash, enjoyable. No problem at all, mate. Brilliant. No problem at all. Thanks a lot. Bye, right, Paul. Cheers, mate. Bye-bye. Welcome back to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. That was Terry McDermott. I'm Ash Rose. Um, I'm on the line with a, still a smiling, snarling Joel Young over the Kevin <laughs> Keegan incident. You heard, during the break, we had more of that, but it wasn't for airing, so we won't get onto that. So we'll talk about Middlesbrough in a minute. We're also with Simon Needle as well, but we're going to quickly, very, very quickly, just touch on Arsenal, who also had a bit of an up-and-down season. They went into it, got rid of Bruce Rioch really quickly. Then the speculation mounted who would be their new manager until Stuart Houston was a temporary in charge before he took over at QPR. And then Bruce Rupp became his assistant manager in a bizarre twist. But Arsene Wenger was the man who took over, and it's the famous Arsene Who. Um, I didn't know who he was at the time, and I think in that day and age, you didn't have the internet, you didn't have this worldwide football thing, but... You got what were your guys' memories of this guy coming in? It was a very, it was unusual for something like that to have. I mean, I know we had Doctor Vengloss at the beginning of the decade, but Wenger was some a name that really was unknown to the English well, league, wasn't it? Well, Ash, he's come here from Japan. <laughs> <laughs> that was exactly what I was going to say. I didn't I mean, realise who he was that until was, that line. Yeah, that was the thing. He's come here from Japan, yeah. and, and that. And what, what did we know about Japanese football? We knew uh, Gary Lineker. Gary Lineker and his toe. Grandpa's eight. Done. And that was it. And that was it. That was all we knew. And then this guy comes over and you're kind of like, uh, okay, this is going to be... And it had all the... Because we had had those Joe Benglosses and people like that. Aussie Ardealers hadn't particularly set the world on fire anywhere. Um, so you were kind of, I think there was a great deal of uh, English-British scepticism going into Mr. Mr. Wenger and how wrong we were. Very wrong, yes. I mean, we, I won't go into his influence because it's kind of doesn't 
that season, it, it, it kind of steadied the ship, had a small go at the title, it never quite got there. But next time out, when we talk 97, 98, we'll talk about the Wenger influence. But I just wanted to mention that was the season. Arsenal came in, like you say, from Japan, Grand Pass 8. Um, Simon, quickly, I mean, again, same feelings on Arsene Wenger. It was just somebody that, as football fans, we, we just didn't know, did we? No, I, I think the one thing that I remember about him was seeing the uh, futuristic glasses that he was wearing at the time, which had no rims on them, really. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I remember them standing out, and and then that sort of became a trend for, for continental football managers for the next sort of seven or eight years. But but uh, now, when you look back at pictures of it, they just, it just it looks ridiculous. But uh, but yeah, I, I I can't I can't really say that there was too much. Um, there's too much that I remember about because Arsenal was sort of not necessarily in a prominent position from memory around that time. They were they were there or thereabouts, but but yeah, I think obviously he implemented the changes that saw saw Arsenal go on. Mm, he did, and he did look like the Demon Headmaster, which was a very '90s show around <laughs> at the time on CBBC. Right, we've got to that point of the show. I mean, we could do a podcast on its own on this season for Middlesbrough. And I'm sure there's been a Middlesbrough podcast that's probably done that anyway, because well, there, be. there's so much to squeeze in to talk about <laughs> Middlesbrough. We know the facts. We've already touched on the fact there was a lot of injuries that curtailed their season, but they had the stars. They had that kit, which you never won in, but it's still a beautiful kit. Never won in that kit. Never won in that kit. But what happened that season, Joe? I mean, (laughs) you know, where do you start? Start with that. It's just what, you know, relegation, two cup finals lost, the points deduction at Christmas. It was like a season of Hartchester United and Dream Team, let alone Middlesbrough, wasn't it? I, I know you don't. You, it's hard to go into so much detail, but yeah. I, well, I do want to go into detail about the FA Cup final because I found out some incredible stuff lately about that. <laughs> Let's start the league but, then. Uh, That's you know, obviously the three well, points deduction. Okay. Well, right. So we started. We started quite rightly. Obviously, we bought all all the lads. Then the first thing that happened was, and I've, I've mentioned it just previously, is that the papers were out to get us straight away is because Ravenelli was on £42,000 a week which now you know players are on £350,000 a week and nobody really bats an eyelid but that wage must have been a slow news day because it made the front of the tabloid and that wage started the tabloids having the knives out for Middlesbrough Football Club there's absolutely it was kind of like who are this lot getting ideas above their station who do they think they are going out and doing this and spending this money who are they who are they who are they and, and from the Southern, and you know, this is me speaking with my Northern head on, the Southern Base Press had a field day with Middlesbrough. Now, there was a story that I remember about Zola. And it was when Zola had signed for Chelsea, obviously. And there was, the News of the World did a story, said, thank God I didn't go to Middlesbrough. And they pulled out all the usual stuff, you know, the chimneys, the industry, blah, 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 blah. And it, I remember reading the story, and not once in the story did uh, Zola say, Middlesbrough were in for me, Middlesbrough was this, Middlesbrough was that. We weren't mentioned by Zola at all. All it was was that uh, Zola was loving Chelsea and how great London was. And and we sort of had to deal with that all season. It certainly unsettled Emerson, who decided in around, what was it, October, November, just to clear off back to Brazil for a few weeks because his wife didn't like it. But his wife probably didn't like it that he was in the Dickens Inn every year. Yeah, yeah <laughs> you told that. Like, I was going to say, there's a story, isn't there, that you told of the first show that him in... Was he was he playing pool or something? He used to hustle people. Yes. Yeah. So Emerson would be in... The Dickens Inn is like the big popular pub in Middlesbrough, you know, and and, uh, and and Emerson would be in there all the time, hustling people at pool, 
you know, so all this Middlesbrough is a dark and mysterious place, which was attributed to his wife. Well, it's probably because it probably was to her who come from Portugal. <laughs> Meanwhile, her husband's out gallivanting around, like you know, drinking and carrying on all the time. So there was this sort of there was this sort of nuttiness going on. In the, I think Jan, I read an interview with Jan Fjortov, and Fjortov said that he said it was great, but we needed two dressing rooms. He said there was everybody. And, and then there was Ravinelli, who needed a dressing room by himself. And a lot of times, Emerson would, would have to be with him, whereas Janino was kind of like one of, the, one of the boys, you know, and everybody, everybody liked him. So there was this unsettled thing. And the squad, which I've just mentioned, was far too top-heavy. Again, it is fine having Ravinelli. It's great, but it's not so great when, you know, he hated Micklebeck. <laughs> I mean, if you go back and watch some of those videos, he's screaming at M- Micklebeck. In fairness, um, I hated Micklebeck when he was online at QPR, but carry on. <laughs> I, thought he was, I thought he was a reasonable player for us, but obviously he's not as good as Ravinelli, and he's not what Ravinelli was, was used to. So it was obvious that things were afoot from around October. Things were going bad. And Borough being Borough, once we get into December, you know, we come down with the decoration. It always falls to bits. And then the Blackburn Rovers game comes up. So, uh, <laughs> so this is the story that Brian Robson and Keith Lamb, who was chief executive at the club at the time, say, and this is the one that they went to the High Court with later on, is that Borough were given permission from the Premier League to cancel Blackburn Rovers versus Middlesbrough. Now, in retrospect, and 20 years on, it's absolutely ludicrous. You can't go around postponing games. And whoever told them that, and if, for them to believe it, was stupid. They should have, you know, because you, then what you're going to do, that sets a precedent. You can't get people going round, uh, cancelling games, oh, we've got no players, because then that's going to happen all the time. And if it's just a financial hit, if you get fined 100 grand, 200 grand, fine, you're going to take that all day long, because, you know, for the points we accrued, we should have stayed in the Premier League, and that would have been worth it. You know, I think at that time we got 30 million or whatever it was. Um, so we we should say, but you can't do that. You just can't. And even now, I think we were treated badly by the Premier League and everything that went on with it. But I think the point was probably fair, really. I think it was the only way to deal with it. What happened is, leading up into that game, we had no one. Half the team were injured. And I think the other half had come down with some horrible virus. Um, I remember the week after that, Brian Robson played his final ever game competitive football uh, against Arsenal. We went to Arsenal and got beat 2-0. And Robson played centre-back. So that's how nutty the situation was. Um, and, and then, of course, we get, we get docked the three points. Now, people say, we looked, around that time, we looked absolutely doomed in the league. We were terrible. We were absolutely awful. And what the three points did was, it gave the team, combined with the signings of Mark Schwarzer, who we'd still never replaced, and Gianluca Fester, who we got in, um, absolutely shored up that back line, probably bought them about three months too late. But what that did was, those two signings and the slap in the face from the three points gave the team a real boot up the arse, for want of a better phrase. And we went on a bit of a run then. We beat uh, Schwarter and Fester's debut. We beat uh, Sheffield Wednesday, I think 4-1 or 4-2 at our place. Fester scored, which uh, the whole crowd just erupted into the theme of the Adams family, which I still remember. That's great. Fair play. Everybody, everybody all at once. So you don't get that now. That's comedy, that is. 
I mean, that just came, that was everybody all at once. It's one of my great football chant memories that just, and it was obvious that it was going to do it because I, everybody was just, oh, Fester, Uncle Fester. <laughs> but as soon as it happened, the whole crowd as one, which was great. And then it was like, all oh, right, we might do something now. Of course, what was going on in the meantime was the cup competitions, which, as brilliant as they were, we beat Newcastle on that League Cup run, we beat uh, Liverpool in that League Cup run. We had quite an easy run in the FA Cup, it wasn't, especially the semi-final, which we've talked about before. Um, but it, it, it sort of, we just didn't have the players. There was one point in, in the running where we played, I think it was four league games in nine days. And it's just, we didn't have the strength, we didn't have anything to deal with it. We had to go Leeds on the last day of the season, which again we discussed in the uh, first episode with Mr. Brian Dean. Yeah, you told Brian Dean off for making Janino cry. He did make Janino cry, I was right to tell him off. Uh, <laughs> it was. It, 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 so we had that and, and, and we got relegated. And it wasn't deserved. You know, I, I still get annoyed now when I think about it because Coventry City stayed up. Well, they didn't deserve to stay up. They didn't do enough to stay up that year. You know, they stayed up in a technicality. That's why it's another one. I just look at Coventry and I go, well, you got an extra season in the Premier League, thanks to us, so there you go. And especially later on when the Premier League, you know, Sheffield United, which is later on, but they they went down um, in the whole business between them and West Ham over Tevez and Mascherano, you know. And and, and West Ham treated in a totally different way as as to Sheffield United as and as Middlesbrough were. So that kind of stuff still grates with me. I, I still think it's my opinion that there's very much a, a bias towards southern clubs over, over northern clubs. I think if it, I think if Middlesbrough was uh, was in Barnet, <laughs> let's say or something, you know what I mean, we'd have been looked at really differently. Mm-hmm. Well, the um, proof of that is a couple of years later, obviously, when West Ham had the situation where they had a uh, a chance to be deducted for points and they weren't, yeah, and then they escaped. Around, yeah. So it's that sort of proves that there is. You know, it was an unjust way of uh, dealing with it. They probably should have just deducted the points again for West Ham. Yeah, it's just... And, 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 and there had already been a precedent set, you know, which I understand and I get the precedent. So that was the league. But then we got the Cups. <laughs> before, before you go into the cup, I mean, was the Cups, in hindsight, it's easy to say, the distraction that proved too much for the league? So... You, yeah, but, would you take the cup final experience and still have it, yeah. or would you have removed them for the league to stay yeah. in the league? I might have lost. I might have lost the FA Cup. Yeah, but then again, you know, it's somebody said to me, you know, the league season's all well and good. The league season's great, but your memories are made in the cups. Yeah, and uh, and that's exactly what it is. Your memories are made, and you know, we had days out on those cup runs that are just hilarious. We went to, okay, so the replay of like just stuff that we'll remember forever. We went to the replay of. Uh, the cup, called Cup Final, when you used to have League Cup Final replays, we played at Hillsborough, we got beat by Leicester. Now, on the way in, we went, me, my friend Craigsy, my friend Roy, Natalie and Andy. Natalie lost her ticket on the way there, didn't realise until she got on the turnstiles, burst into tears on the turnstiles and they let her in. Fair play. I'd have been wandering around the street, so you know, so you get those memories and those silly stories, and they stay so, so no, you know, yeah, I probably could have lived without the FA Cup run, but then we wouldn't have had Chesterfield versus Middlesbrough, that incredible, crazy three all. We wouldn't you know, have had Janino's the... diving header, which still makes me laugh every time. Well, I see the, it. One, the one where he misses, and yeah, <laughs> sort of bundles it in, yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, you also wouldn't have had the classic Bob Mortimer "Let's Dance" song. Of course. Yeah, the song. Yeah, and, oh, um, what a get classic! A copy of it right now, actually. <laughs> All the big heads. Some, if we... you go back and watch that video, it's really bad. Yeah, well, really I'm not surprised. Bad. Yeah, I'm not surprised. No, but I mean, it's it's really sort of like there's some people blacked up in the video and stuff like <laughs> pretending to be everything. Oh, I God. swear, to God. God bless the nineties. I know. Well, it's kind of, it's just a it's just a fat guy from Middlesbrough. He's blacked up and he's like at the cup final, at the uh, league cup final. I'm just looking at it going, oh, okay, that's nice. <laughs> you wouldn't have the big heads either. We we talked about them before, didn't we? The big heads at the cup final that are still knocking around somewhere in someone's back. Uh, my friend uh, Kingsley Chapman had them. Uh, which did you see the photos? They yeah, were yeah. Around Middlesbrough Town said with them. Someone's... I think. I think. I think Leicester had. I think it was was it was he is it and Martin O'Neill is oh, there. Neil Lennon, had, I think. Was it Neil Lennon? Yeah. We had um, we had Janine, uh, no, we had Emerson and Ravenelli as ours. Yeah, but for some reason they've ended up in the little theatre in Middlesbrough. <laughs> I don't know they're how they're They should be Sorry? a cup final thing. They should happen every year. That should have been a staple hold for cup finals. Forget abide with me. Gimmick, it? I don't know why that happened, but I mean that was an incredible, incredible game. That you know. Um, the the League Cup final where they equalised Emil Heskey three minutes from time. I didn't actually see that goal. I was too busy watching all our fans go mental, going, God, this is great. Yeah, I sort of drink it in, man. There you go, there's a wrestling one for you. But that's ding, what ding, I was ding. doing. I was too busy watching all our... Oh, I hate Jericho as well. Uh, I was too busy watching all our fans being nuts and going crazy. And I was just looking, and then all of a sudden they went, boom, and fell down, and the other side erupted, and I went, oh, okay, this is good. But that was... That was a game for Emerson and his bionic legs, that as well, because Emerson, I think, was injured going into that game. And certainly by the end of the game, he was limping about all over the place, the League Cup final. Uh, and he was an absolute, that was that was probably his best game for Borough, I think, that incredible uh, League Cup final. But we went to the when we went to the replay, it was three days or four days after the Chesterfield game. I think we played Chesterfield at Old Trafford on the Sunday, and then we'd gone to Hillsborough on the Wednesday, and we were just done. They were all knackered. They were they were all done in. The situation was getting too much. But um, I wouldn't swap it. I wouldn't ever swap it. I mean, the 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 run under McLaren was probably the most successful, best time to be a Borough fan, really. But was it as much fun? I don't no way. So. No way. Yeah, I'm not even a Borough fan. So um, let's have let's let Joel have a breather for a second. Um, <laughs> I think he's, you, know, you summed that up quite good as well in, in in those three competitions. But as a neutral like me, I mean, how did you see the Middlesbrough season? It, it was such a bonkers campaign for them in in what happened. I know that you're up above the league, winning the title and stuff, but it was some sympathy for Middlesbrough by the end of the season, wasn't there? Yeah, because they were just complete capitulation. So uh, I I think the thing was. Uh, I think everyone sort of felt sorry for him by the end of the the FA Cup final because it was over in the first. It was that one, wasn't it? Where yeah, it was over. Twenty six seconds. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Um, but the, and and also that is my favourite type of goal, by the way. The, and I know it will probably pain painful for you watching it back, Joel. But where the where the ball hits the crossbar, oh, and it's like straight it. back up. They're the, like the Tony Yaboa goals of the season. Like night, what was it, ninety five? That sort of thing where the ball bounces up, they're, they're just the best goals. So as a neutral, it was enjoyable. But then at the same time, you know, um, I think everyone has sympathy. And you, you, the thing is, you want brilliant players to play well and you want brilliant players to, to come into the Premier League wherever and whoever you support. Um, 
like in the country, you sort of want the best players yeah. playing in the Premier League. So to see sort of Janino on the floor at the end of the end of a game, that's that's not what really anyone wants. You you want you want the best players entertaining week in week out. Well, you know, we've I've never been shy about my love for Janino on here, and I got to meet him a couple of weeks ago. Oh, was, here we go! It was absolutely amazing, <laughs> and he's he actually is the same size as me as well, which is even better, which made me feel good. But no, a lovely fella, Ravenelli was there as well. It was like a miserable reunion, actually. Um, final note on this, then, Joel. Anything else from that season? Because I, I think you talk, covered it I, quite well. I, I want to talk about the cup final. Go on, the cup final, the Chelsea cup Middlesbrough, final because obviously, sort of right there. You know that we, you know that we kicked off in that game. <laughs> then forty seconds later. <laughs> 42 seconds yeah we kicked off Ravinelli lost possession of course he did Ravinelli wasn't fit Ravinelli shouldn't have played in the game but this is what happened Ravinelli wasn't going to play but they thought they might take a risk in him but they weren't sure Neil Cox defender formerly our record by uh, fullback who everybody loved he's quite a good looking lad you know and he had curly hair some of the women like really like Neil Cox Neil Cox had given an interview to I think the Daily Star where it was like, name your FA Cup 11. So he, he named it 11, and he didn't put himself in, and he didn't put Ravinelli in. So Ravinelli doesn't like this. <laughs> Ravinelli doesn't like this at all. They go for a photo shoot in the suits on the morning. Ravinelli launches himself at Cox. Like, they're having a fist fight. This is on the morning before the match. They're on a fist fight outside the hotel. Cox and Ravinelli, oh, yeah, you're terrible. They get on the bus. It's still going on. They're still fighting with each other. Now, for some reason, Brian Robson, in his infinite wisdom, has booked Stan Boardman to come and tell a few jokes on the team bus to sort of lighten the lad's mood. Meanwhile, Cox and Ravinelli are still sort of hammering seven bells out of each other. We get to the ground. Borough get to the ground. Uh, I've never heard noise like it. I think it was the uh, Duchess of Kent or somebody who was coming out to meet the teams. And I've never heard noise like it of just the words... Three points, over and over and over again. Three points. It got so noisy, Nigel Pearson ran uh, after after he'd introduced, I think it was the Duchess of Kent, to everybody in the line. He ran up to our end to tell us to keep it down because it was just that. He runs over, you know, like the two hands pressed down sort of thing. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm, I'm like, oh, I'm not having this. So then we sit there and the game starts and blah, blah, blah. And we, we kick off. Ravinelli loses possession. Roberto Di Matteo, bang. They're going mad. Our end is silent. Oh, also, actually, in that game, we had to put up with Cliff Richards singing a bag with me. Let's just, you know, so there was that as well, another another terrible thing. Um, and, and this just sums up the whole year for me, is that we were sat there in silence, apart from one bloke who stood up about five or six rows behind us, just stood up and went, oh, what? <laughs> that summed it up. You know, we've gone through everything we've gone through this year, and it's been horrible, because I think when you're living through it, it is horrible. And you go there, and, and for this guy, six or seven rows back, just to go, oh, what? It summed it up for me. I've been through all this. It's horrible. It's awful. And now this has happened. And then the next day, uh, we they come back and they have they have an open top bus parade for being two two time cup losers and uh, getting relegated. <laughs> and uh, and just as that happens, Cantona announces his retirement, and he <laughs> go. Oh, and suddenly it was away from us again because it was like there was no Janino on the open top bus, which was everybody was worried about that. And then Camden now retires, and you're kind of like, oh, okay, thanks for that. <laughs> you know, so, so everybody at the board parade was talking about uh, Camden now retiring. It was so bizarre. 
I've looked, I'll tell you what I'll do. I've got some pictures of that parade, Nigel Pearson waving out some stuff, and me stood outside the ringside. I'll put them on Twitter later on, and you can, you can share it, because that was just a bizarre day. <laughs> the final kick in the ghoulies was that... Yeah, that's exactly what it was. It's exactly what it was. But again, I wouldn't swap it. Yeah, a bonkers season, but you've said maybe lovely there, Joel, so I can quickly talk about Eric Cantona's retirement, because that was the final season for, for King Eric at Old Trafford. How was that for you, Simon? Horrible to think that he just came out of nowhere with that retirement at such a young age. The King of Old Trafford, you must have been bummed. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a disappointing day, I think. But um, the, the, just on Cantona's retirement, I don't know if, if you've read it, but... Uh, but yeah, Ferguson sent him a, a letter a couple of months later that uh, was published in his book, uh, the leading book that he released uh, last year, and it's well worth a read because it's, it's it's just a, a really nice letter to Cantona, really. Just gives a bit of an insight into how Ferguson deals with sort of players like Cantona, and um, it. But on the on the occasion itself, it was just. Um, out of nowhere, I suppose, but but following on from uh, following on from the last two seasons, he'd obviously seen that United had uh, talent emerging and thought that was it, really. I guess, but I, I I still think he could have gone another year, and it would have been brilliant to see him go another year. So he was what? He was only thirty-one, was he? Yeah, thirty-one. Thirty-sixty-six. He was born, as that poster always says. That poster, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, so ninety-seven, it would have been thirty-one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's an easy question to write, but with the Premier League now, twenty-five years old is this coming season. Is Eric still for you as a Man United fan the man that changed everything? He's still in that upper echelon of, of United players for you. Yeah, I think um, I think he's just he is the, he is the player. He he was everything that. Sort of epitomised United. There was the the flair, the the, the sort of the strength, and uh, <laughs> sort of a, a wild side to United as well, which uh, I guess is sort of overlooked because they they went on to win things. But but um, it was yeah, I think Cantona just he's the glue that sort of brought everything together in the the, the sort of those early early Premier League years. And it was that season he scored that goal against Sunderland as well, which I didn't realise until I was watching bits and bobs from 96-97 the other night. And what a goal it what is. A, and did the, 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 the great touch in that, I think, that always gets overlooked is from Brian McClary, who just sort of, yes. with the, out, the outside of his foot, just rolls it back into Cantona's path. And I always think that, is, you know, it's a it's a brilliant goal. And McClary's coming to sort of the, uh, the autumnal years of his career at that moment in time. And it was, uh, he's still... I think a lot of United fans love Brian McClare and um, that's hot. Just, just brilliant. Just brilliant. Is, well worth saying. Is Brian McClare still involved in the club? I think he so. was for a long time. Yeah, he, he did a lot of stuff with the youth teams and um, I'm not sure as to whether he uh, handed it over to sort of mm-hmm. Nicky Butt or uh, Ricky Sprague, is it? Um, yeah. But he, he, was, he was involved with United for, for like a good few years. Uh, I think um, I think he might have gone though under Moyes, if if I'm correct. I, I think he went 
According to his Wikipedia page, yeah, I think yeah, he left the position in July 2016. If Wikipedia is to be believed, but yeah, Brian McClare. It was a season for great goals, though. Um, I'm not. I'm going to mention the Trevor Sinclair goal just quickly because it was the goal of the season, and it's one of the greatest goals of all time. Um, Goal of the 90s, I said. Yeah, goal of the 90s. But you also have Paolo Wanchop's goal. Uh, at Old Trafford which was a great goal as well he's announced his arrival on the scene with that goal on his debut almost signed for QPR as well one job Stuart Houston there turned, is, it, turned him there down there's a terrible line though on that on, on the commentary on that which it always makes me cringe which is they, they say something along the lines of just a couple of months ago he was playing in the ramshackle stadiums of uh, Costa Rica and it always makes me cringe whenever I, I think it's on that goal uh, but it's it, I always think it's a just a, a really condescending, yeah, yeah. distasteful for the people of Costa Rica. And you can't course, see me, but I am covering my face with both of my hands whilst <laughs> I remember it. It's like that, that monkey bad. emoji, yeah. Um, oh, it's terrible. I'm, there's still so much to talk about from this season, and we're not, I'm, we can't go on for too much longer. I've got a few little things, I'm sure the guys have uh, as well. Um, the, the little tidbits that I was going to mention, it was the season Matt Hart, Matthew Harding certainly passed away uh, in a helicopter crash. The season Steve Koppel lasted 33 days as Manchester City manager. Uh, the season of the 4-3, the second 4-3 as it happened, Liverpool-Newcastle. Um, it was the season of Wright and uh, Schmeichel's clash that they had um, in that tackle. Uh, a hybrid that was and it was Fowler and Seaman and their famous it wasn't a penalty as well that moment yeah. uh, but holy smokes <laughs> it was a see I didn't realise all this happened you know you've, you, the, my 90 knowledge is I like to think very good but to pick out to realise this was all in one season I was like oh yeah of course it was there's a lot that happened um, for you guys Joel first I mean what else can you pick out from 1996-97 well this was just the thing with me I was thinking about it earlier on is you know I'm normally pretty good when, and I'm not going to say encyclopedic but I'm normally pretty good at pulling out things that happened that happened in the seasons but this I went back and watched the season review um, yesterday and I was like I just I think because the borough were absolutely all consuming in every single part of life and especially living in the town at the time as well uh, that I can't remember much like when you said earlier on like Sheffield Wednesday were top of the league for a few weeks, which they were at the start of the season. And David Pleat was in charge, and yeah. I was like, I don't Richie Humphrey it. scoring goals for fun, yeah, yeah. Benito Carboni, how can you forget? Yeah. Well, he put he, he came to us later on Carboni, um, but yeah, yeah. There's just stuff like that, you know. And when you say I didn't realise the Southampton Man United game with the shirts was this season, there's loads of daft things. So no, I'm just completely consumed with uh, Middlesbrough FC. I'm afraid. That's fine. There was a, if there's going to be a season to be consumed by something, it's going to be that season. Uh, Simon, anything else we haven't mentioned you wanted to mention? Yeah, I think uh, th- there's a couple of things that I remember from that season. I remember um, Vinnie Jones, although he's not a sort of a, a darling of Twitter at the minute. Uh, he scored an awesome goal against uh, Arsenal. Oh which, yeah, uh, I remember him volleying and was that on Sky? That, that was a live game, wasn't it? Yeah, I think yeah. it was a live game on Sky, and then. Um, uh, the, one of the other things I was I was thinking about was um, uh, the sort of the adverts. I guess that was the the one thing that stood out for me in this season. As as somebody who loves watching sort of uh, watching the adverts as much as anything back in the day, yeah, the uh, the Sean Bean classic with uh, uh, Tintin out strings for Yasmin. Tintin out. Thank you. I can't think of the name of it. Yeah. Thank you. What, what an absolutely brilliant advert, though. 
Yeah, I've, I think I've literally quoted that word for word in the Alive and Kicking book, but it's one of those football, <laughs> football is life, isn't it? It's, it's an absolute, yeah, Sean Bean really does it justice as well. Probably the best advert, other than Alive and Kicking, obviously, it's the, <laughs> it's the best advert that, that Sky have done. And Joel, you're one for adverts, aren't you? So where does that rank in yours? Oh, that's, that, that's uh, I, I wouldn't say it's any good, but I'd put it in the top one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Brian. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it's just, you know, maybe it's his spirit. He's another Middlesbrough man, isn't he? Um, yeah, that one's, that one's the classic, isn't it? That one's the black and white, the passion going. Yeah. And, and again, that's when Sky had really got their act together with the Premier League. They, they kind of knew what they were promoting, how they were promoting it, and how best to exploit it, really. Um, so yeah, they had another classic advert during that season as well with the the What's It All About advert, which uh, this, oh yeah, that that was like they were they were they were on it that season where and and I think in that one um, I was reading a sort of uh, a book a couple of months ago and in that in that advert Ferguson mentions the as he calls it not the treble the triple as the, the the thing that he was going to do next and that's the, <laughs> that's the that's the first reference i think to doing the the, the triple Crazy. Well, we'll talk definitely about that in a couple of episodes time. Um, <laughs> to wrap up the, the season, I suppose, I'm, I'm sure there's stuff we still haven't mentioned, but I always like to go for the awards. As we mentioned earlier, PFA young player was David Beckham. Uh, the PFA player was Shearer. He was also top scorer that season for Newcastle, despite his injuries. Zola, who had signed for Chelsea that season, was Football yeah. Writers Player of the Year. Uh, the Team of the Year, David Seaman, Gary Neville... Tony Adams, uh, Mark Wright, Bjornaby, Beckham, Keane, Batty, McManaman, Shearer and Wright. So many 90s classic names there. Um, Janino Renan- got, got Premier League player. He got there. the yeah, the lesser known Premier League. He should have won it all. But yeah, he, got, he did get an award. I did see that earlier. It was, well. I tell you what, can we just talk about Zola? Sorry. The Zola business winds me up so much. Because they didn't You're sign on him one until, today, aren't you? No, but they did, Chelsea didn't sign him until, I think it was November, yes, December, it was, was yeah. it? Yeah, and he got player of the year. I was like, he wasn't there all year. <laughs> he wasn't there all year. He doesn't get player of the year. Uh, it, it still, and, and that is another one 20 years on, still lines me up. I wasn't, wasn't on, yeah, I wasn't on the Football Writers that. panel at the time, but I wouldn't have voted for him. So, but, Well, know. thanks, that. That gives me a, a crumb of comfort. Yeah. I think we all know that Jordi Cruyff should have replaced him. That's, that's what you're getting at, really, isn't it? Oh, yeah, exactly, oh. yeah. Poor UED. And then just at the other end of the table, we talked about Middlesbrough. The other teams relegated were Sunderland. And I mean, Nottingham Forest as well, who are an, another team who had absolutely diabolical season. A terrible season with them. Pierre Van Hooydoink, they signed as well and then decided he didn't want to play for them. Terrible season for Forest. Um, I was oh, going to yeah. get Matt Davis, who's a Forest fan, uh, regular on here, but I didn't want to do two teams of relegation. And we'd, so... have been, we'd have been killing ourselves by the end. Exactly, we yeah. We've had the first live suicide on AK9. We, we don't, need, we don't need that. So, yes, yeah, so a Forest oh. fan, sorry. You're probably glad we didn't talk too much about you. Um, internationally as well, it was that it was the season England famously lost to Italy at Wembley as well. Gianfranco Zola again scoring that, that goal, although we did get our own back in the end, as we will talk about next time out. There's right. a brilliant thing on that one there. Just Sorry, just to interrupt. There was a brilliant thing that Sky did, which was uh, they, they had a double bill. It was England versus that was, Italy. That was the that was the away game, though, wasn't it? That was was that the away game? It was the away game, yeah. They, they showed oh. the Italian job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, didn't know, <laughs> I didn't know which which game it was, but I was, yeah, I was going to say that. I remember the, 
the amount of hype that they gave that at the time was was through the roof. Right, we'll save that for next time, out because we'll definitely talk about that on the next show. Um, right, have we done it all? Is there anything? Have I anything I missed out? It probably is something I haven't mentioned from ninety six, ninety seven. But I'm working off the smallest post it note ever, and I still can't read some of the writing. But so I'm sure there's something that I've missed. If there is, put it on Twitter. Um, but we've gone very long on this. But there's still time for a couple of rekindled players from the past. So uh, Joel, you know the score, you know the drill. Enlighten us with a nineties player that time forgot. I'm going from Middlesbrough on. Oh, we haven't had enough of them this podcast. Go on. Well, no, I just thought I should read because I, I was gonna, I was gonna go somewhere else, but I'm gonna say Jaime Moreno. Ah, oh, little Bolivian was he? Bolivian. Well yeah. done, Ash. I oh, think yeah. that was too, you're gonna get that. Yeah, yeah. I remember. Uh, it. And we, he had two spells at the club. I think he was one of Robson's first signings, uh, besides himself and I think Nigel Pearson. He then went off to this Bolivian club to go and get. Jaime Mourinho, and, and basically he didn't get a sniff in his first spell. But then he went off to um, America for a couple of seasons. It was like DC United's top scorer, I think, or somebody like that. And then came back and he bulked up a bit, but he probably still only played about five or six games. That's what I mean. If you've got Janino on your team and then, you, and then you're replacing for Janino as Jaime Moreno, it's not looking good. But no, we, we made a few quid on him twice, I think. Yeah. Very strange. Yeah. But no, a uh, good little player who probably wasn't right for the English league. There you go. Good name. And Simon, your first stab at this. Go on, hit us with a name from the past. Oh, uh, probably Gary Walsh, who was uh, another Man United goalkeeper, I think. Uh, or, a, or a keeper as well. Yeah, exactly. I was, exactly what I was going to say. He, uh, he he was around United for a while, for probably about 10 years. And uh, yeah, just never, never, I guess, made... Uh, I don't know, the, the career that he probably would have wanted because Peach Michael was in the way. But he still picked up a, a couple of cups, uh, European Cup Winners' Cup and uh, Super Cup and a couple of... Uh, I think he might have got the FA Cup in 93-94. So, there's, yeah, there's a couple of trophies he picked up along the way, but... But yeah, just uh, just standing in the shadow of Schmeichel, really. The, the season before, which uh, when United won the league at our place, which <laughs> I was there again, uh, <laughs> and Alan Miller had been playing really well in goal for us. And for the last game that United needed to win, you know, obviously former United captain hero Brian Robson decided he would play former Manchester United goalkeeper Gary Walsh in goal against Manchester United because it would be nice. And we got beat 3 0. <laughs> and United won the league at our place. <laughs> God, that rings a bell. I remember that. I haven't remembered that. Remember but yeah, that. I, know, I remember that now. Brian Robson played Gary Walsh because it would be nice. Oh, bless like, him. Oh, isn't that good? But that's, that was another great day as well. Yeah. Gary Walsh played for Bradford as well, didn't he, in the Premier League, if I remember rightly? Yes, he went for Bradford, uh, I think. Did, yeah. Yeah. And he's currently the goalkeeping coach at Aston Villa with Steve Bruce. Oh, that's oh, good. Man. I never knew that. Good, good, yeah. good old Wikipedia. Um, right, that's that's it, I think. I think we've covered everything from 96, 97. Top stuff from you. Uh, firstly, Joe, where can people find you talking about Middlesbrough, probably, George Michael, wrestling, on the Twitter? Uh, there are pictures of the cat. Mostly, oh, of course, yes, it? the cat. Uh, uh, yeah, it's at Joel Baby J O E L B A B Y H E R C. The football season does start for Middlesbrough on Saturday. So, uh, you know, there'll probably be a lot of that going on. We're going to Wolves. Um, so, yeah, if you want to find me there, that's lovely. I think I'm going to have to have a nap after this year. I feel <laughs> you need to calm down. Emotionally and physically spent you after do. this well, I'm not surprised with the season you had. 
<laughs> I'm, I'm still surprised you're getting over seven million for Ashley Fletcher, but that's far too modern to talk about. Mate, okay, mate, forty-five million quid we spent in the championship. <laughs> it blows us out of the water because I'm not. I'm not looking forward to this season as a QPR fan. I will tell you that. And everyone Simon, hates. Everyone hates us. You should everyone win the league. You should win the league. And well, so, it's just on Villa, I think. But anyway, Simon, where can people find you? Uh, I'm over on Twitter uh, at Simon Needle. Uh, so yeah, hit me up if you uh, if you want to talk about pretty much the same stuff Joel said, except for cats, <laughs> except my cat, yeah. yeah, yeah, except your cat, yeah, yeah, yeah. all okay. the same. Well, there those guys. You can get me at Ashraja UK, and of course follow the show at AK Nineties. Next time we're we, we're getting near the end of decade. We only got two shows left on this season countdown, um, which will be 98, 97, 98. See, I'm confused as it is as Arsenal dom- dominate the, the league with league and cup. So we'll have some Arsenal talk. Maybe a bit of Barnsley, since that was their first and only season in the Premier League as well. Um, But until then, I've been Ash Rose. This is Life and Kick In. Until next time, keep it 90.